0: So we're going to go back to Nehemiah 8 and finish that out this morning. Nehemiah 8, remember that uh, Nehemiah is the story of how uh, God, it's about the God who rebuilds and restores. And he has just rebuilt the wall. He has helped his people rebuild the wall in Jerusalem so that they might gather around and worship him. And uh, I just think this, this Thursday is our annual celebration of Thanksgiving. You know, our, uh, our country devotes one day to celebrate the practice of Thanksgiving. Now, If you're from another country, you, you might uh, celebrate Thanksgiving with an American family, and you might think thanks, the word Thanksgiving means eat a lot of food and watch football. <laughs> I can't even laugh at my own jokes. It's really bad. Okay. <laughs> But regardless of that, you have to admit it's pretty cool that our country devotes a day to give thanks, to celebrating Thanksgiving. It's a, it's a celebration, friends. It's Thanksgiving is a Christian practice where, where we practice, we express gratitude to God for what he's done for us. So celebrate good times. Come on. <laughs> So sadly, though sadly, at at times, a time, a day that is meant to increase our joy is often a means of decreasing it instead. You know, maybe it's because of family stress or unresolved issues of hurt, or maybe it's just the holiday blues. But isn't it painful to know that the celebration of one of God's good gifts like Thanksgiving has become a source of grief for some of us? Don't you want joy instead of the arguments around the family table? Don't you want joy? Don't you want, your, don't you want soul-nourishing, soul-sustaining joy in the middle of political heated arguments with your father-in-law while you eat turkey? Don't you want joy in the middle of that? That, that wasn't a, an autobiography of myself, I promise. Don't you want the joy of the Lord to be your strength? Well, friends, I'm happy to tell you God has provided soul-sustaining joy through his word, soul-sustaining joy through his word. In the middle of this section, you heard Bridget read it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. In the middle of grief, in the middle of sadness, in the middle of conviction of your own sin, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we, Nehemiah 8 teaches us that God provides soul-sustaining joy through the proper preaching, Understanding and doing of His Word. God provides soul sustaining joy through the proper preaching, understanding, and doing of His Word, and those are going to be our our three main points this morning. It was just it was too good of an outline. I I, I kind of made it my own in my own words, but I stole it from K. Edward Copeland, who is an amazing preacher. And so that's what we're going to look at today. The the word preach leads to joy. The word preach leads to joy. The word understood demands joy. And the word practiced produces even more joy. So this is what we're going to be about this morning. The joy, joy, joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, as as Nehemiah has brought the people back and they have built the wall and and people are are ready to settle into Jerusalem and, and worship God... The rebuilding of the wall is completed, but the the greater rebuilding and the greater restoring is about to happen. And it happens through the word. So look with me at Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So... and beside him stood Matsithiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Mattaseiah, on the right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkaijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord. The great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped. Worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Aku, Shebathiah, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozebed, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is God's word. So you want soul sustaining joy. You want joy in the midst of, of grief and and sorrow and, and, and hard talks around the dinner table. You must have a mind for the word. The, the word preached leads to worship, friends. And, and in uh, Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8, we see that the people have a mind for the word. And we talked about it last week, but the people had this desire for the word. In verse one they asked Ezra to bring it to them. Open the book for us, Ezra. We know we need this. Open the book. So Ezra opens the book. And then in verse 3, they are attentive to the words they tune their ears to hear. They bend it because they, they want to hear God's word for them. And then as the book is opened, you see that their reverence for the word. They, they stand like when a judge enters the courtroom, everyone's told to stand. Why? Because the judge represents the judgment that's about to come, that he 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 represents the court, the higher justice. And so they stand out of respect for God's word. And then they respond. You know, this isn't just a. This isn't just a uh, uh, going through the motions. They desire, they're attentive, they're reverent, and you know they're sitting with their hands to their side, like most of us do when we sing. Just, I'm not throwing shade on you. I'm just pointing out something. Uh, and when they hear the word, they respond, "Amen, Amen." We agree, and they put their their hands up. And they worship God. They bow their face to the ground. So people have a mind for the word. But not only that. The people don't only have a mind for the word. The preacher has a mind to bring the word to them. Ezra knows what his job is. And the job of the preacher is summarized in chapter 8 verse 8. What, what, the pre, what Ezra the preacher is supposed to do and, and so in tells us what preachers are supposed to do. So if I was to drop dead and you were to find a new pastor here for this church, what is that pastor supposed to do? He's supposed to preach the word. And in verse eight, it tells us what, what to do. They read from the book of the law of God clearly and they give the sense so that the people Understand. Nothing else will lead to joy like the preaching of God's Word, like the understanding of God's work. Nothing else will lead to the soul sustaining joy quite like the opening and understanding of the book. And so here's what the preacher is supposed to do. And friend, here's what you can do as you preach the gospel to yourself and you preach it to others. It's not just the preacher who, who can preach the word. It is, it is you who have the word. Open it. Understand it. So here's what he does. He reads it clearly. That means if you, if you come up to, to read the word as a, a preacher or before the sermon, it means you have to know it. You have to have read it before. You need some preparation. You who preach to others, you have must first preach to yourself. And friends, I I can't tell you how actually hard that is. There there are many times that I just read the Bible to write a sermon. That's not good. We need to be reading the Bible and understanding it, not just so we can present it to others, but because we need it. It's our only source of soul sustaining joy. You can do that as you open the book in the morning, as you open it with other people. Read it clearly. And then it says, give the sense. You you read it and then you make it clear. Uh, This is expositional preaching or explaining what the Bible means. Exposition is to explain what it means. And that's to say uh, the, the Bible is an interpreter of itself, but it also needs people who have studied it to interpret it for other people. That's why I look at commentaries and older commentaries and read older people because I don't have all the answers myself and neither do you. We need God's word explained to us. And if you desire to be a preacher in this room, that is your greatest job and that's the greatest joy you'll have. And that's the, the, the greatest thing that will bring joy to other people is to explain God's word to them. Explaining what the Bible means while making it interesting is hard work, though, right? Not because the Bible's uninteresting, but because we're boring. And most of the time when we explain things, we explain them in the wrong way or too, or too much, like, maybe like I'm doing right now. But the Bible's not boring. It has life and has joy for all of us. Clarity, not entertainment, is the goal. But it doesn't hurt to be Interesting. Right. Open the book. Let it let it let it lay out for you all the the wonders of God and his mercy and his glory and let it bring you and it's tears' joy. Read it. Make it clear and have a purpose. The third thing is to have a purpose. It, it was so that the people understood Right. You can see that in the in the text and all the people who could understand were there, the ones who could understand are here. And then they understood the word when it was explained. The word proclaimed and preached clearly leads to joyful worship. God provides soul sustaining joy through the proper preaching of the word, not just what I'm doing here, but what you do when you preach the gospel to yourself. When you preach it to others, when you take the good news into your workplace and you have a smile on your face and someone asks you, how are you doing? And you say, you don't just say, oh, I'm I'm fine. You say, better than I deserve. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing well because of God's grace. You find a way to express the goodness of God in your life because the word has brought you soul sustaining joy. The word preached leads to worship. Well, secondly, not only the word priest leads to worship, the word understood demands joy. And you heard Bridget read for you. I'm going to read it again. Verses 9 through 12. Such an important point for us that we're going to stay here for a little bit. In, in chapter 8, verse 9, it says, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, Nehemiah is reintroduced now into the into this section and And it says that Ezra, the priest and scribes and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people. This day is holy to the Lord, your God. This day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is God's word. So now, friend, the the governor and the scribe joined with one voice to help people who has joined as one man. And as they stand together, they are both saying to these people who now have heard God's law. This day is holy. So party. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought holiness and celebration Go together. I I just think of, you know, growing up, I I always thought holiness was one side of God that was uh, kind of, you know, just scary. And um, uh, he was just waiting uh, for me to have too much fun. And then I'd get disciplined. But that's not how God views holiness. That's not how Nehemiah, that's not how the law views holiness. Holiness belongs with celebration. So this day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn, weep, or be grieved. Instead, they are to celebrate good times. Come on. Yeah, let's go. Celebrate. Wipe away your tears. The people heard the law and they were cut to their hearts. Why, Why do you think that was? They probably had not had the law read in this way as a group of people since exile. And and they're seeing how good it is. Oh, how good it is when the family of God gathers around God's word. But also the word revealed that they were sinning against God. They revealed their sin. Like when you come before God and you, you read his word and, and it reveals, it opens up, the Holy Spirit opens up your mind to like, no, actually I was sinning and I need to repent. The law revealed that they were deficient in their worship. And all of this brought sadness. But in the kindness and mercy of God, he tells them to celebrate instead of more. Now, friends, I, I understand, actually, this, is, this can be controversial. Because what, what God is doing is he's, he's, he's telling us to have a command over our emotions. And in a culture that says your emotions, what you feel inside, determines who you are. Uh, who is God to tell me to celebrate instead of be sad? Well, he's God. He, he's the king of the universe. And he's telling us. He's not just actually telling us to change our mood. He's telling us the reality that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Friends, it's time to celebrate and not mourn. Now, joy is not simply happiness or elevated serotonin levels. Joy is a settled confidence in God and his word. It's a settled confidence that whoever God says he is or whatever, whoever he says I am and what he tells me to do is good. He does not say change your mood, but change your thoughts from grief over sin to joy in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That We need to celebrate the grace of God that brought us out of exile. That, that, that is what the law is telling them, and that's what... That's what the preacher tells them. And Nehemiah, the governor, tells them. And that's what the Levites tell them. And friends, this is exactly what these people needed. They they have come back into Jerusalem. And it's not like they heard. And it's not like they remembered. And they needed to hear the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah not only wrote about these people. He wrote to a people. A people like you. So who were the first people to read this, to open this scroll and read it out? It was it was a people who who came out of exile, but had no king. They remember that God had promised them a king to rule over them forever and ever. Now, where's that king? How are we going to have joy if we don't have a king to rule over them? Their question is, would God keep his promise to have a king rule over them? And the word answers that question. I will rule over you by my words written to you. I have not forsaken you. I have not abandoned you. All of those kings and those rulers, both the good and the bad, both the David, both the Davids and and the, the, the Asas. And also the bad kings, all of them were a a pale reflection of the good king that I am. I've not forsaken you. I've not abandoned you. I am ruling over you by making my word plain to you. Do you ever think about that? When you think that God has forsaken you or that your your time on this earth has, has proven God is not happy with you. He is ruling over you by making his word plain to you. So go celebrate. He says, I'm a God who rescued you. So eat the fat and drink sweet wine. That's just a sort of a, a, a picture of, of not just eating fat, but eating the best part of the meat. And drinking sweet wine, drinking the, the best kinds of drink that bring you enjoyment and make your heart glad and remind you that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 10. So, Christians should have the best parties. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, now, we may have the wrong view of party, right? Party means Uh, getting inebriated and and having sex with people that aren't our spouses. That's not what it means here. It means celebrating God's goodness and bringing us out of exile. And and that can mean eating a good meal and and drinking good wine, the best wine. It doesn't have to mean that, but it can mean that. The, The point is God wants Christians to celebrate and have fun and enjoy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Wipe away your tears. Do not be grieved. It's not time to mourn. It's time to enjoy God. One commentator said, what he urged on them took account of the elementary facts of life. The little luxuries that can turn a meal into a feast. Like, eat, the, eat the best. Now, now's the time for prime rib and the, the $80 bottle of wine. But he also is caring and loving. It, it, it's also, the caring and love which can turn simple gaiety into the joy of the Lord. A joy which is invigorating and not an escapist or effervescent. It's not passing. It's not, it's not fading away. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And the, and the party just points us to that everlasting joy that's coming at us through God and his kingdom. Friends, holiness and joy go together. Holiness and joy belong together. God provides soul-sustaining joy through the proper preaching of his word, through the proper understanding of his word. But God also provides soul-sustaining joy through the proper practice of the word. Now, listen to Nehemiah 8, verses 13 through 18. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem, Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate, in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. From the day of Joshua, Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is God's word. So in verse 13, you see there's a men's Bible study. The the heads of the houses, they gather together and they do a Bible study. And and, and if you want more joy, read God's word and study it with other people. Studying it with other people will, will bring out things that you hadn't seen before. And that's what these brothers do. They, they study God's word. And what do they discover? Bible study leads to discovery. And in verse 14, they discover that they should be celebrating the feast of booze or tabernacles like they haven't done in the past. And it pains me to know that the Bible celebrates tent camp- camping. It pains me to know that he's saying, go out and do have a feast and a celebration intense for seven days. But there it is. I'm glad we live under the grace and not under law. So what is this feast? What's this festival? So God had a liturgical calendar for his, his people. The liturgical calendar for the church in, in that day was, uh, you know, sort of starting off with the day of atonement, the Passover, which was a day in Egypt when they were told to, to kill the lamb. Eat the lamb, spread the lamb's blood over the doorposts, and the angel of death would pass over you. The lamb became a substitute for the firstborn son. And if you believed, if you applied the blood, then your son would be safe. And all who did that were spared. And then Pharaoh sent out the people from Egypt, and as they went, God parted the Red Sea and out of Egypt they crossed the Red Sea and they were redeemed. They were God's redeemed people. And as Pharaoh's army went back into the Red Red Sea, the the waters came back over them and, and God destroyed their enemies. And for the next 40 years, these redeemed people wandered in the wilderness. And in the wilderness wanderings, the people dwelt in temporary shelters, booths, tents. Tents that had been made up up of of, of leaves and branches, and they, they wandered. They set up camp until the glory of the Lord departed from that place, and then they packed up and they moved and they did it all over again. And that was their life for a generation in the wilderness, wandering and wandering and wandering. And during this time, they saw so many wonderful works of God. They also sinned. But this wilderness wandering was to recall to mind that the good hand of God was upon them all their days. In calling them to celebrate by living in tents, he wanted wanted them to remember the great acts of mercy, the great acts of strength and kindness and justice of God. The good hand of God was on them even through the wilderness wanderings even through exile, even through what you are going through right now. The good hand of God, if you believe and trust in him, the good hand of God is on you too. And now as they return into Jerusalem, God says, my good hand is on you. He's governing them by his word. His word hasn't failed. It's always been the same. And as they returned as they returned to Jerusalem, as they returned to God, God has returned to them. As they practice the word, there's more joy to be had though. The, the practice of God's word leads to even more joy. Putting God's word into practice isn't always the easiest thing to do, but it promises to lead to joy and rejoicing for God's people. So, friends, the the word is a source of life, a a wellspring of of life, uh, like like a well or a spring is to a city of thirsty people. God has an abundance of of soul satisfying water for you in his word. But unlike unlike physical water that only leads to being thirsty at another time. The water of the word satisfies our thirst while making us thirsty for more. And when we come to the well of God's word, we're satisfied and left wanting more. Isn't that your experience? Why is that? Well, it's because the water of life is not just some words written on a page. The water of life or the word of life is a person. All, all of this, the, the feast of, of booze and them being at the Watergate was was to remind them that it's not just words written on a page. it is actually a, a person that they are in a relationship. And, and so with you. In John 7, uh, 37 through 38 and John 7, this is the uh, in Jesus earthly ministry. This is where they were celebrating the feast of booths, of tabernacles, of tents. And on the last day of the feast, John 7 to 37 tells us that the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And what the children of Israel Wandering, in, when the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, they thought they were going to die of hunger and thirst. And there were times when they said, "Why, why did you bring us out of Egypt just to kill us here in the desert?" And every time God provided for them, He even brought water from a rock. And what the people needed to be saved from was not just physical thirst, but spiritual thirst. Unless you, unless your thirst is quenched, your spiritual thirst is quenched by Jesus himself, you will die spiritually in your sins and God will punish you forever. They would die unless God quenched the thirst of their sin. Jesus is that one. Oh, dear friend, if, if you're not a Christian, I, I just, I just, I just ask you. How? Do you have a longing in yourself for something more than this life? Do you have, do you have a longing in inside of you that you maybe are, are trying to fill with, with education? Maybe you're trying to f- fill it with celebrating all the time, all the all the parties you go to. Maybe you're trying to fill it with relationships. Or work. May I appeal to you, may I just ask you if you will come to the one who can only satisfy that thirst. Jesus Christ is it is the living water. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He wasn't talking about physical thirst. He was talking about spiritual thirst. Don't you want something more for your life? Jesus is that answer. So every one of us who is spiritually thirsty. We, we know we have need to be satisfied to to fill the void that is left since we ran away from God. And, and Jesus, when he came to this earth as the as the as the living fountain, the the fountain of of water and, and life, he laid down his life for you. He gave it up for you. It was like the water was cut off so that you might drink his life was cut off so that you might have more life and we we try to fill our void with with other things but what jesus is saying is just just come to me turn and trust repent and believe the good news in isaiah 55 talking about the compassion of the lord he he says this come everyone who thirsts come to the waters And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Don't spend your money for that which is not not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfied. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul might live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love. He, He will receive you. Come to him. And you will be satisfied. When you do, you will find soul-sustaining joy. The thing you're looking for, but you don't really know. Why? Because the proper practice of God's word brings soul-sustaining joy. So friends, this Thanksgiving, as you sit at at the table and you you eat the best food and and drink sweet wine, remember that the joy of the Lord is. Is your strength. And friends. The, the proper preaching. Understanding. And doing of God's word. Leads to soul sustaining joy. So let's celebrate good times. Let, let's celebrate the joy of the Lord. Is our strength together. Now friends. We, we have a perfect opportunity. We do this every week. Is, is we have a, a meal before us. There is uh, there's bread and wine. It's not, it's not fermented wine. It's juice. But the bread and the cup are, are before us as a meal. And uh, this is a time for celebration every week. And, and, and this, this Sunday, we, we wanted to take out the prayer of confession but we, we want to leave in the assurance of pardon. This is the assurance of pardon that Jesus broke was his body was broken for you. that He, he poured out his life blood for you. He, he was he was cursed so that you might be blessed. And so. Uh, we invite you if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have put all your trust in him and have turned from your sin to him, we invite you to come and, and drink of the water without price. And, and we believe that uh, baptized Christians should be taking the Lord's table together as a as a means of covenanting together with God's people. So when we sing the next song, you, you can just come down here if, if, if you're going to be communing with us. And, and if you're not, I invite you to pray, I invite you to pray and watch. And, and, and talk to the Lord Jesus a, 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 about your, your life and your, your sin and, and how you want to celebrate, but, but, but maybe you don't know how yet. I invite you to talk to any of us about that. And as you watch, will you, will you notice that uh, th- this does not save us, but it's a representation of us taking Jesus to ourselves. We, we, can't, we can't have celebration or life without having Jesus. That's what we believe when we proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. So as we sing this next song, I invite you to come to the table and feast and celebrate. Let's stand.